Guys, welcome to The Ground Floor, the podcast where we are successful people exactly how they did it. Our guest today is Sophie Raval, the founder of Unveiled by Sophie, which is a company that makes custom bridal veils, which is something very different. We've never had this before. Uh, and we're really excited to have you here. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. No worries. So this is completely different. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> anything we've had. which is Not tech. Yeah, which is why I love it. So can you just straight back to the beginning, like how did you even get into this business? Do you know, I fell into it. Um, it was a total accident. So I was working in costume at the time. So I was making headdresses for Disney. I'd been doing that for sort of three or four years. Oh, cool. um, yeah, I loved it. it yeah, was yeah like that's quite a cool job. Every little girl's like dream yeah, of yeah, yeah. sparkly headdresses. You get to be around Disney princesses 24-7. Essentially, yeah. yeah. It was great. Um, but I basically, one of my friends needed a wedding bell. She I love her to bits, but she was not very prepared. She was making her wedding dress and a week before the wedding, she hadn't made, she hadn't finished her dress. Most people would be really stressing. She was like, no, it'll be fine. I'm like, we're, we're a few hours away. <laughs> stress, from stress for her basically. Yeah. <laughs> and my other friend volunteered me to make a bell. I was like, whatever I can do, let, like whatever I can do to help. And it just felt like a really good business and a bit of a gap in the market. And I just loved it. I just found that it was something that, was really, you can make it really personal. Um, and it just, at the time, worked really well for me with my lifestyle. And I just kind of found something that I loved and was like, right, this is it, I'm gonna do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so what made you do specifically veils as opposed to like bride, bridal dresses themselves? Yeah, I actually wanted to do wedding dresses. I had done them and hated it. <laughs> um, okay. It was, do you know what was really sad about the wedding industry is that Everyone wants to be taller, blonder, blonder, thinner. And you when you're making wedding dresses, that's what every person every bride wants mm. because we're so conditioned to think that that's that's the beauty standard. That's what you need to get married. And it do you know what it made me really unhappy? I had this beautiful bride who she was like this Spanish girl, she's absolutely amazing. She had a 24-inch waist, which is the size of most people's thigh. And she said, oh, I look really fat. Can you make it so I can't breathe? I don't care if I pass out. And I just had wow, this wow. moment okay. and I was like, this is not, this is not for me. I love the wedding industry, <laughs> but I don't want to be part of trying to make women mm. look thinner yeah, <laughs> than yeah, they yeah. need to be. Like, yeah. you don't have to be thinner to get married. And, you know, it was something that I was like, this is just not this is not for me mm. um and i thought that i wanted to do that that's what i thought when i was younger i was like that's what i'm gonna do so it was quite difficult because in many respects i was a bit lost because suddenly it was like this thing that i loved i was like oh it's not you know how sometimes that expectation versus reality i was like this is not this is not what i thought it would be um and then i found that veils had the beauty of the wedding industry without the size dependency and you know I just think that there is when you get engaged like when I got engaged um my advertising on social media changed so instantly I got how to drop three dress sizes in a week I got um shedding for the wedding wow. was the top <laughs> hashtag um that would come up on my feed yeah. um fat dissolving injections and I, I said to my husband like yeah. what advertising are you getting and he was like football yeah. <laughs> not that <Yeah>. congratulations <laughs> exactly. you've got one to stay with you <laughs> exactly yeah. I was like well you were engaged um and I just thought you know we're in an industry where there are amazing suppliers doing venues photography creative things 
why am I getting advertising to say that I need to change myself to get married? Like, mm. why can't we value women enough that you don't need to change yourself to get married? And, you know, I think the wedding industry in particular, if you look at the big designers, they're all using six foot blonde white women mm. and who are about this big. Mm. <laughs> and that doesn't represent most women. That's probably 5%. Yeah, yeah. And there is a, there's an amazing sort of alternative wedding group of people who are definitely combating that. There's one in particular called um, Rock My Wedding who just do uh, like crazy weddings and they're like black wedding dresses, they're tattooed brides, brilliant. But I found that there was this whole gap between your really anorexic women <laughs> and brides wanting something very different. And that was about 90% of the population who just wanted to feel beautiful and empowered. And I, I, it really struck me because I thought if I feel uncomfortable, so many other women must. And it made me sad because I thought this is such a happy occasion. And all you're being told is you need to change yourself to get married to be a bride and so that's why you know very quickly moved away from wedding dresses and whereas wedding veils was something that not size dependent you know you can you don't need to think about silhouettes you can just have exactly what you want and I think there's something really authentic about that mm. so that was kind of my you know why why veils <laughs> why, yeah. and how did you know that there was actually a gap in the market for for what you were looking to do specifically so I think Honestly, probably didn't know okay. that. <laughs> um, I think that's come over time. If I'm brutally honest, I... So there's a bit of a backstory. Um, should I go to the backstory? Please. Okay. Yeah, please. <laughs> You're in the right place for it. So I, so I was working um, at Disney, making headdresses, um, but I was actually really ill at the time. So... Sorry to cut in just very yeah. quickly there. Um, making headdress for disney was this for disney world or was this for the movies or yeah so it was for all of the shows around the world so um west end um did australia hamburg uh, new york and then the live action films as well so you know the big um if you've seen it um great film would recommend um the big prince ali um Sort of song okay. where everyone comes out in all of the headdresses basically i spent about six months making those okay. um loved it you know it was it was such a great opportunity to learn from people who had a lot more experience than i did you know i was totally self-taught i didn't go to university i just learned on the job i'd been sewing from the age of about five <laughs> so interesting okay so that was what I was doing. But unfortunately at the time I was actually really unwell. So um, when I was 19, I just blacked out one day at work uh, when I was at the opera house um, and I couldn't stand up for five years. Um, and- As if, you, wait, you, you, you couldn't stand up? Every time I stood up, I blacked out. Wow. Um, so, you know, I, I was collapsing up to sort of 10 times a day. I became allergic to most food. Um, they thought I had a brain tumor. Um, and I was really, really ill. Um, but basically if I, if I stood up and walked, power walked and sat down immediately, I could kind of cope. And I was like, I'm not going to go on the dole. I don't want, I like, I love my life. Um, they didn't know what was wrong with me at the time. 
I took about four years to get a diagnosis. Um, Jeez, four years. Yeah, it was a long God, time. Okay. Um, it was a long time of being disbelieved um, because I didn't look ill. Mm. Um, and I think that that is such an issue when you're trying to be believed because you turn up and they're like, well, you look okay. And yeah. it's like, I've just literally just mm. collapsed in the <laughs> in the waiting room. Um, and how does that work when that happens? Is that like it's it lasts for about four or five seconds <laughs> and then you're back up? Or is it like someone has to come and make sure you're okay? Yeah, so normally about 45 minutes. Um, so, and I was having like seizures and now I'm on a lot of meds to <laughs> kind of manage it. Um, and yeah, it's, it's terrifying. And less than my work colleagues, I would go into work, keel over, they'd help me. And then we just crack on with our day. And, you know, they, at the time, I didn't know what was wrong. Um, I knew, obviously, I was really ill. Um, that was that was very clear. But I didn't know what the cause was. Um, and that was, it was really difficult, obviously, mentally. Like, 19, 20, most people are out having fun. Um, you know, I was, like, six months previous, I was running half marathons like, every week. Mm. So I was really fit, active, and you know, I was like, I'm not having a wheelchair because if you get in, you won't get out. And so I was like, I'm just going to carry on doing whatever I can. Um, That's really brave. I I mean, the fact that you had a hack that you were like, okay, well, I've realized if I power walk for five (laughs) seconds and then stand, like that's that's really admirable. (laughs) Thank you. It was, yeah, it was was really tough. And I think, you know, it's been a decade now. um, And actually what sort of, this is a very long, long-winded story, but what led me to setting up my business was I had a really awful three months. So I was already very ill. Um, my dad had a catastrophic stroke. and We just spent all of Christmas in, in intensive care with him. The government demolished our house to make way for HS2 and one of my friends died. And I was just like, I can't stand up. Life's not great. Yeah. <laughs> and... I was reading this trashy romance novel at the time and it was called 10 Ways to Mend a Broken Heart. And it was basically, she found her ex's bucket list, was gonna do all the things to try and win him back. And I thought, you know what? I don't know how long I've got. Because at this point I was like, I don't know that I'm gonna get to 30 because it was pretty bad. And I was like, I'm gonna list 10 things that I'm gonna do because then at least in a year's time, I'll have achieved something because I was just spending so much time in the hospital for me and my dad. And one of the things was to set up a business. Um, and so I just, I'd sort of already had this kind of idea because of my friends fail. And so now that I look back, it was a crazy way to set up a business. But I just called up a wedding fair and was like, I've got a wedding veil business. Can I book a stand? And they're like, yeah, sure. Um, and, was, and you didn't even have like a website I, or anything? Nope. <laughs> or any I, tester samples or? Nope. <laughs> I was like. That's so dope. But you know what? I was like, that will motivate me to be ready because I think sometimes I just, at that point, I wasn't thinking long-term because I didn't really, you know, I was 24. I didn't really have like long-term in my mind because I think that experience of, um, to be honest, thinking I wasn't going to live, it was like, I might as well just crack on and do it because then at least I can spend the next X number of years doing something that I enjoy rather than, you know, getting lost in, all the health stuff or just not really enjoying what time you have. Mm. Um, and I'm really glad to say, you know, I've got a diagnosis now. I'm generally well, I'm managing it well. What um, was the diagnosis? 
So it's quite a mouthful. Um, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, which basically means my heart doesn't work when I stand up. Postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. Yeah. I well, think I kind of half got that. <laughs> you did. <Yeah. laughs> that was very good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's basically where your autonomic nervous system doesn't regulate your heart, your blood pressure. Um, so normally when you stand up, the veins in your legs constrict and basically my blood just falls straight to my feet, which is not an ideal place for your blood to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is like a connective tissue disorder. So I'm very bendy. Um and that's the sort of underlying thing. Um, and then another one called mast cell activation syndrome, which basically I became allergic to anything. So <laughs> laughing, um, the weather. So sorry, laughing. laughing. So. Yeah, so that can cause me anaphylaxis. Don't worry, I've got EpiPens. Wow, okay. <laughs> and it's okay now. It's like, I'm like stable now. But that wasn't great. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Most food... Is it so Came bad that I'm the most tempted to make a joke now? <laughs> no, no, go on, go for it. No, I have no joke. But the fact that I'm like, that's... Break the, the tension. Yeah. As a comic, that's the best story. I once made someone laugh so hard, I sent them into anaphylactic shock. <laughs> that's an accolade. If you ever you wanted one, there's yeah. an accolade yeah, exactly. for you. Um, but yeah, go on. So, um, yeah, like, re- pretty rough. Like, it was, it was bad. Um, and through that time, went through a lot of, misdiagnosis i thought i had a brain tumor twice which was pretty terrifying uh lymphoma like Mm. so many different things and then of course they went oh no it's all in your head because you know you're a young woman so you obviously have an eating disorder um that must be so difficult to actually be sat across the table from someone who's trying to diagnose you with an eating disorder when you know that that's clearly (laughs) not what's wrong with you you don't need to be a doctor to know and like so patronizing and so patronizing as well i mean Okay. Yeah, just a lack of... I I always found it was if I went in and I was more positive, there's nothing wrong. If I went in and cried, it was like, oh, you're hormonal. And it's like there was no in between. Um, It's a damning insight right there. Yeah, and that's that's a difficulty. That's why it took me four years. You know, some some people it takes them 10 years to get diagnosed, which is staggering Mm. because... A lot of people don't have that length of fight in them. I think I was really lucky in many respects because I had the support of my family. They were 100% behind me. and knew that I was not okay. So I always had that. I know that I'm not okay. I know that it's not in my head. And of course, as soon as you go, oh, look, there's a you've got a heart condition. It's like, well, that explains quite a lot. <laughs> that yeah, explains yeah, yeah. why I can't stand up. Um, so you, you, you called up. This, uh, this bridal fair. Yeah. I want to circle back to that. Yeah, 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 of course. That's so interesting. So you caught up a bridal fair with yep. absolutely, absolutely nothing. I had made one veil. For your friend. For my friend. Yeah, but as in yep. like you made one thing for yep. a mate once. <laughs> yep. And you caught up a bridal fair and were like, I'm ready. Uh, yep. I know now I'm like, what was I thinking? Um, but do you know what? I think in many respects, I just had that like life short, give it a go. I was like, I always try and go, what's the worst thing that mm. could happen? It's a good mentality and, to have that. Well, most of the time, the worst thing that you can imagine happening is fine. Mm. Like, it's not, it's like, oh, I'm a bit embarrassed. And or... also, that kind of forces you to get something done. You have a deadline now. Yes. You have a fair that you've paid money, I'm assuming, yeah. to, to, to do it. Exactly. So it's now like, well, you have to actually get it done. Yeah. It's like, good. Because I think so many entrepreneurs, like, you know, have that idea and then they take such a long time. I had a friend who, she has now finally opened her shop, but I've known her for nine years and she'd already been doing it for sort of five years previous to that. Wow. 
and you think, wow, 14 years without getting a penny in. And I was like, that's not how I want to mm. do it. I just thought, you know, let's let's see. Let's get the minimal viable product. Let's just see if I can sell a bill. <laughs> and yeah, then let's yeah. see if I can yeah, sell yeah. too. And, you know, I looking back, it was not the best way to set up a business. Um, if I was doing it now, I'd do it very differently. But I think in some respects, that naivety was really handy. A lot of people have said that. You don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And you don't know how hard it's yeah, going to yeah, be. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I just set up this fair. like, and How long did you have? Like, sorry, between calling them and the fair actually taking place? Yeah, so I I think March. So March was when my I was 24. Um, and I was like, right, this is on my 25th bucket list. So I booked it in March and the fair was in October. I was like, that's long okay. enough to... Yeah, yeah. You can make a business in that time, yeah, right? Yeah, six months. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sure, let's go I with it. Yeah, throw yeah. it together. Yeah. Um, and bless them, my friends were amazing. They... Because at the time I was really ill and I was spending a lot of time just like traveling because I was living in London, um, but my parents were in Birmingham. So I was just traveling a lot to see my dad and sort of support my mum. So my friends would actually go and buy me the tool and they were just amazing. They were just brilliant. Um, And so I just was like, I'm just going to start making bells. That's a good place to start. And then I thought, right, I'm going to think about packaging. I'm going to think about website and just like quite naturally worked through each stage and I think in some respects because I just went through in quite a methodical way that was quite useful because you go oh I might need to take payments okay fine I'll sort out a payment thing rather than because I think you get too overwhelmed if you think about everything (laughs) I agree that's kind of like a first principles based Mm. thinking Elon Musk talked about that once I think because he started his own school and 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 so and the interviewer said to him like why did you do it like this and he goes because the way that most if you say like for example physics is taught is okay we're gonna learn about physics his lesson one is like a wrench we're gonna learn everything we can about wrenches and he's like whereas what we do um which is a better way to do it is we'll say okay we're gonna take apart a car the first step we need to take this nut off okay we need a wrench for that and that way you're you're kind of it's practical and it's applicable so it goes in and the retention is a lot is a lot better and that's the thing i think it's all well and good for instance reading lots of books but if you're not applying that it's Mm. useless Mm. and i think that's where i'm loving learning now because i've got the base of knowledge to actually learn from because you know otherwise you would just get paralyzed with there are so many things that you can do you know and where do where do you start so many people have asked like where do you start and it's like well it depends what you want to do obviously I know nothing about setting up a tech company. I couldn't recommend on that way you start. But if it's a products-based business, if it's something that you can make in small quantities, I think that's where you start. Get a good product because it's all well and good having all the fancy advertising. But if you fundamentally don't have a good product, I don't personally think it's ever going to have longevity. You Mm. might have short success, but I don't think... It depends also what you want. Do you you want a long-term business or do you want to try and make quick money and and you know retire to a beach (laughs) how did you know you had a good product because so i had i remembered going shopping with my mum to buy my sister's veil i don't know why my sister wasn't there i think she'd just been like just buy buy me a veil (laughs) and we'd gone we'd gone to this wedding shop and i remember thinking like wow these are quite expensive for what they are um and we got her a lovely little veil had a couple of crystals on um but they had I always remember thinking these match nothing. Like they don't match anything in the shop. Um, And I thought, 
I was just going to say, how, when you say these are very expensive, what is the... I, have, I know nothing about <laughs> bridesmaids dresses or veils or bridal dresses. Weirdly not, no. As, oh a, as a young bachelor man, I have no experience in not that. Not come across it yet. Um, yeah. yeah, how much does a veil normally cost on average? I mean, sure there's so, a range, but... Yeah, well, that's, that's the interesting thing. I think when I set this business up, I thought most people would spend one to 200. What I have since realised is, you know, our, our veils range from 100 to 5,500. Um, it depends how much your wedding budget is, really. It's the same as dresses. Some brides will spend 500 pounds on a dress, some will spend 30 grand. Yeah. So I would say most people now spend around the thousand pound mark, um, but we are more of the luxury end. Okay. You know, you can, this is the thing, whenever brides come to me, they always go, wow, the quality is really beautiful because a lot of the veils in a shop are imported cheap from China, and they're scratchy material. Okay. Their stuff's been glued on. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think I think there's this misconception with the wedding industry that you're just paying 10 times the price. But actually, we've become very accustomed to clothing being very cheap. You know, you can buy a dress for £5, but that dress takes a couple of hours to make. And I think what we have that disconnect is we don't see labor costs anymore because we're agree. so used to I importing. And there's just a real issue with that. Yeah. Whereas what you're comparing to is, you know, I pay my assistant national win um, London living wage, yeah. even though we're not even, even in London, you know, because that's really important to me. I don't want to work and have my company based on volunteers or interns. So many people have said to me, just get an intern. And it's like, it's not quite as simple yeah, as that yeah, yeah. and also these people have bills to pay and if i want them to do a good job i need to value them but i think that's where you know the wedding industry actually generally not everything you know there are some some wedding veils um i work on from other designers and for instance i'll hand embroider and sometimes they turn up and i actually said to one of my brides like i'm not sure this is the quality you're necessarily expecting because they'd glued everything on with hot glue gun. Oh and God. there were literally bits of lace like flapping about. Oh. And I said to her- like, Over the reasonable price of 200 yeah. quid. Well, yeah. that's the thing. She had paid over 600 pounds wow. for this bale. Okay. And I said, Dick, if you would like me to work on it, I will. But I just want you to know, I don't think that this is what you necessarily saw in the shop. And that's the thing. Some of these shops, they show you something and then they've got a cheap knockoff that they then send wow. you. Right, okay. And that's a real issue, you of course, know, yeah. because it's not authentic. And, you know, she ended up arguing with the shop, getting her money back, and we just made the whole veil. And she was much happier. And, you know, I think that there is, it's, it's really sad that quite a few brides will be taken advantage of. I'd say probably 20 to 30% of our brides have already got a veil because in their wedding appointments, they jack them up with a tiara, with their shoes, with a veil, and... Full princess mode. Full princess mode. And they yeah. go, yes, I'll have it all. And then they go, oh, actually, because they're so caught up in the moment. Mm. I think if you love it, great. But I always say, just get the dress and then go back for an accessories appointment because then you can see, do I actually love it? Or was I just having my, yeah. like, everyone's crying, so I've got to get everything. But so many brides come to me already having a veil that just doesn't mm. isn't what they want what would be the difference you said you offer anything from like one or two hundred to like mm. five and a half thousand yeah. what 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 is the difference for example yeah. if i was to get a veil from you for 100 pounds as opposed yeah. to five grand so 
we use the same materials um, unless so basically we've got our classic tools uh, which are all the same materials whether you spend a hundred pounds or in the thousands we also do silk which is a thousand pounds plus and that's you know pure silk that's the cost is in the material itself um the difference is we do we use the same principles so the same quality the same techniques we just do less obviously for 100 pounds will be a plain veil beautifully made beautifully finished a thousand pound veil will have lots of lace on a five thousand pound veil will be hand stitched hand cut lace on a silk tool so what we try and do is always find out a budget first so that we can offer everything on and below because there's such a huge range (laughs) you know and it's like the number of people who come to me and want Meghan Markle's veil and they've got a 200 pound budget and it's like (laughs) yeah I would love to you know she was marrying the prince of England yeah (laughs) Yeah, exactly (laughs) different budgets probably like times it by 100 um you know so we always try to sort of manage manage that and I know some people think wow spending five thousand pounds on a veil is crazy honestly when I set up my business I probably thought that too but what I didn't think about was most of our veils are sort of classes heirloom veils so they get handed down you know we do one of the things that I love to do is do um, bespoke embroidery where you know it might be their mum's handwriting or their grandma's handwriting and then that gets sort of passed down through the family whereas a dress yeah it's just that really personal I think that's the thing like most of my brides come to me because they can't find exactly what they want and I give them the freedom to be creative without needing to class themselves as creative. Do you know what I mean? They can tell Mm. me all their crazy ideas and I go, okay, this is what I think you want. And And that is true because you can pass a veil down. Yeah. You can't pass a dress down. Not really. (laughs) I don't don't know if people do that. I don't know if people do that at all, but... I think some people do, but it's not as applicable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's not as applicable as a veil. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh, is all your stuff bespoke then? Or do you have so, some off the shelf? Yeah, so I've got a classic collection online, which is sort of 100 to 1,000. Um, and people can mix and match. Everything is made to order. So the lovely thing about that is someone can say, I want to combine these two designs. I want to make it longer, shorter, change the color. Um, but we have that as a sort of classic collection. Um, and I'd say that's probably about 20%, but then 80% is bespoke. Um, and in that sort of probably 50% is fully bespoke, just crazy ideas. Um, I've embroidered anything onto veils. I was going to say, like, what are some of the crazy ideas that you've had? Of um, I've had some really lovely ones, which... Um, so I've got a bride at the moment who, unfortunately, her father has passed away. So we're embroidering him onto... As in like a portrait? Or, yeah, like a portrait, like a black and white portrait wow. onto onto the veil. Um, so there's really lovely things like that. That's a nice idea. Yeah, just... It, is that the kind of thing where, you know how sometimes... Is that kind of like with tattoos where sometimes, you know, you'll see people get like someone's face and sometimes mm. it, it can look nice, but sometimes yep. it can also look a bit like... Do you want your oh. grandma's face yeah. on, your, on your wrist or something all the time? So I I always think like there's a balance... And it's about doing it in a tasteful way that is like special to you. And when she first said it, I thought, oh, I'm not, I'm not sure on this. Yeah. Um, and then she showed me some sort of inspo pictures, and I was like, okay, it it can it can be tasteful. I think done in the right way. Um, you know, I always prefer something that's a bit more symbolic um, rather than literal. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you know, things like it might be a flower or 
something to represent somebody rather than you know their face uh, yeah (laughs) (laughs) it wouldn't be my my first sort of choice um but the beautiful thing is that you know it's it's making her really happy Mm. and it's making her feel like her dad is part of the day and i just think that's a lovely gift to be able to give someone so i'm circling back to the trade show then can you just give us an idea of kind of what the run-up to that was like and what it led to yeah so i mean honestly i went in knowing nothing um and i've always been the sort of person very over over prepared you know i i was the friday night do homework (laughs) kind of person so i I was really worried I'd go in being like, everyone's going to see I'm a total amateur, don't know what I'm doing. Um, And actually I went in and, you know, the organisers came around and were like, wow, you've got one of the best stands. So I, now I look back, it was a bit crazy, but I made like 75 veils. Wow, okay. I was like, I'm going to have every length, every (laughs) colour. And retrospectively, I, it was, it was totally unnecessary. I actually probably needed a range of 10 um but you don't know what you don't know and so in the lead up it was very much oh no i was gonna say just, yeah, just yeah. on that you said you had 70 79 75, 70, 75 yeah. yeah so you had 75 but yeah. as in were those ready to be sold because i know you yes. do bespoke so they yeah. were adjustable or no so they were just lots of different lengths um okay. so there were some that had like lace on but most of them were plain um because at this point i didn't know what sold well okay, of course. i because you say, say do market research, but if you Google what's a popular wedding bell, like yeah. <laughs> nothing comes yeah, up. Yeah, like yeah. there's no, because it's subjective. So you just made a range um, of off the rack stuff that yeah. anyone could, could have bought then and there. Because at that time, I, this is the thing, like I, as I say, set, set this up a really tough time. I was not strategic about it. Um, and now I'm kind of like, oh, if I'd been more strategic, but you know, that's a learning and that's But it what... got you to where you are today, right? Exactly. And in many respects, I learned so much by getting stuff wrong. I mean, I just think actually that those are always the biggest learnings. And, you know, I came away really pumped from it. I was just like, the engagement with the couples had been really great. We got loads of details from people um, who actually did go on and, and purchase um, later on. I didn't get any sales on the day, but I kind of... I don't know I would naively had bought boxes enough boxes for basically like 50% of the stock Um, honestly now I look back and be like what was I thinking but you know it it was all part of it you 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 figure it out out. exactly and um so yeah I I think it was very much like I tried to go through really methodically of like if I was a person coming in what would I want to see so veils you know I got the racks to hang everything make it look really beautiful loads of photos so i had coerced one of my best friends into being a model for me bought a dress off ebay a wedding dress and i was living in london at the time and had like a there was a nice green patch behind my house um so we did like a photo shoot got my camera out um so there were loads of photos of her like windy veil shots (laughs) um so that i was like great people think i've got clients um got my friend's wedding pictures yeah. um so i was like it's like i've got two clients yeah. <laughs> um, and you got one client that bought every veil that you own exactly. She's trying every single one <laughs> exactly she just happened to you know take all these lovely photos um and then at the time i i was also like i'm going to do accessories as well so i might do like hair bands and i thought about doing shoes handbags and that was a real learning because i think actually i very very quickly was like i need to focus on one thing 
and be the best at doing that Absolutely. and like almost the more niche you can get yeah. the better um yeah exactly and the good Everyone thing says it. yeah Everyone it's does. true it's so true because you can you can get any almost anything now online but to get really good quality things and to get exactly what you want is quite difficult and i mean these are the things i i think i made a lot of mistakes but they were also i failed quickly i think that's always the the best thing to do yeah it's a good skill man. yeah yeah and you know not being like oh well i've already done this so i'm going to carry on doing it just if something's not working cut it and move cut on it. Um, Why did you go to the trade show of interest just on that versus just going straight to straight to sort of commerce? Oh no, so actually it was a it was a wedding show for couples um, okay. rather than a trade show. So yeah, it felt like a good place to kind of suss out okay, yeah. what what brides actually wanted. And I think it was I think it was like about two hundred couples. Um, and it was great because actually there was a dress shop there and they had like a little catwalk and then my veils ended okay, up on yeah, the catwalk yeah. and I was like, oh, cool. so excited. Yeah. Um, so did you yeah. sell any from that day? I didn't, but not on the actual day, but further down the line, probably about six months down the line, actually, um, sales started coming through. And I think a big part of that was just talking to people, just being personable. Every bride wants to feel like their wedding is the most special. And if you can get on board with that, and I love it. I love just hearing about every little detail. And I think, you know, I, I got married last year. And Congratulations. Oh, thanks. Uh, still married. Where'd you get um, your bill? <laughs> well, I have a really great company. Actually, I had three. <laughs> Imagine she's like, actually, Tesco's making a banging bill. <laughs> great value. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, I did make my own. Um, and um i've lost my train sorry yeah you got you were married last year (laughs) that was it and you know there was something really special in that finally like properly understanding what it was to like plan your wedding and to have that day that was all about you and how you wanted to feel and that will remain one of my happiest days of my life um because Mm. you look around and every single person is there for you and that's just that's just magic like there's nothing like that yeah it's a beautiful thing yeah one of my best friends just got married like a month ago uh, it's my first like wedding that uh, wasn't like an old family yeah, friend or whatever and it was yeah it's very special exactly and there's just something so special in that and i think if you can have that empathy to your bride to your to your client to be like i get it mm. you know it's almost like a little secret of like i get how it yeah, feels yeah. and you know and that's that's part of the service as well you know whether you spend a hundred pounds or five thousand you still get that, like, we think your wedding is the best mm. thing ever. So onto, onto the client side of it, mm. um, one thing that I've been really curious about with this kind of business model in general um, is that obviously the nature of what you're doing is a one-shot thing. Yeah. So it's, a, I mean, you hope anyway. I mean, you know, in a way you almost <laughs> hope they get divorced, you know, want to double up. Um, but so obviously you hope that, you know, they only get married once. Yeah. Um, and so a client that uses you, you get one fee out of them. Yeah. You get one ticket. Mm-hmm. So what is it like navigating that in terms of getting landing and then, you know, kind of building a client yeah. base? Do you know what? It's, it's, it's difficult. Um, starting off was difficult because obviously, you know, as you say, you don't have that. They can have the best experience, but it's not repeat custom. Mm. Apart from very occasionally mums. If mums have sorted out a veil for the first kid, they, they come back. And right. I've done a, one mum who's done all three of her daughters. Okay. So there is a small amount of repeat business there. Um, but do you know what? I think the most important thing is they have a great experience because brides talk. You know, 
I'm sure neither of you will probably be in any any bridesmaid groups, but funny that. You know, I'm in my my cousin's bridesmaids group, and there's eight of us, okay. and we're like, oh, have you seen this? Have you seen that? Have you seen this? And it's it's actually a really small industry. I think if you have a good or a bad reputation, you live or die by that. Yeah. Um, and so word of mouth, you know, currently we're not paying to do any advertising. Wow. Um, Is that to, so today you've not you've not paid any money. So we we've done we've tried <laughs> I've yeah. tried lots of different things. Yeah. I tried um, advertising in magazines. You know, they're always getting in touch like Country Wedding magazine. Right. Pay like 300 pounds for a quarter of a page or something tried lots of different things like that did any of those work because um, we, we would never have thought mm. of doing that for our kind of business but that's, that's um not for my type of business no see that's weird because i thought that would be because I, yeah, I can imagine too. that people yeah. getting married are reading these wedding magazines for inspiration like a and, magazine like yeah. probably affluent yeah probably you want like a picturesque want... wedding and yeah. it's like inspo exactly. for it but do you know what does work is real wedding stories Okay. so real, um real wedding yeah stories. so so whereas like an advert would be you know we do bespoke wedding bells whereas a real wedding story might be a 10 page spread of these beautiful shots and then at the end you've got suppliers so at the end it will say bill and bell by sophie um so we got some really good coverage uh last year in okay magazine um literally by reaching out to celebrities i just reached out and said have you sorted your bell Mm. we do really lovely yeah 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 and it's amazing what you can okay. get by asking yes it is and that is the moral, <laughs> that is, that is the moral <laughs> of this podcast yeah. this podcast exactly so okay that i'm really interested in yeah. so was this what like cold instagram dms yeah. that's so, so okay yeah. so we were talking about we were talking about cold instagram dms the yeah. other day and one of the things that we were thinking about is well surely if they're that big they're not going to be checking their dms mm. if they're you know if they have a hundred thousand two hundred thousand followers i don't know how big the accounts you're reaching out to were but you know, well, they ranged. That... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they ranged from I think the minimum we did was like hundred thousand um, up to like one point two million. Haven't had a response on those yet. Okay. Yeah. But there's also there's different ways you can do it. You know, you can find out a lot of information online. You know, find out people's agents. Um, I think the biggest one so far is about three hundred and fifty thousand. That's um, responded to you. Yeah. Okay. And they responded directly. Um, right. But even to something simple like saying can we send you some samples free of charge okay you know we'll send them to your agents you don't have to send us any details things like that mm. i think people just appreciate you being like oh here here's something for free even yeah. if it's like i think also like the research into them as well it's like if you know their agents or you've seen their agents and it's a exactly. far more personalized yeah approach. how many did you send out roughly any any like, like dms um i've probably done about 20 okay um and I'd say probably 10 to 15 percent respond. Okay. Which that's, a, that's actually a really good hit rate. Really that's a really good. Good. It doesn't yeah. sound like it, but yeah. it's a really good. But hit you rate. also have to know that they're getting married. So how do you do that? Okay. The magazine. <laughs> okay, magazine. Yeah. Okay. It's so good for and hello. Um, I mean, I'm literally getting paid to read girls' magazines. Basically, like, that's pretty great. Yeah. Google. Yeah. Honestly, there are so many announcements on these things. Um, hash, like hashtags as well. Mm. You can find out. Um, so. You, you know, it's. I think it's so much just about thinking outside the box. I think that's the biggest thing. Um, for instance, things like one of the things I'm doing right now is obviously we're not paying for advertising, but we are trying to partner with as many different companies as possible. So literally reaching out to venues and saying, do you have a wedding bell supplier? And most of them go, oh, no, we don't. And then we go, 
look, here's our brochure. Here's what we do. Okay. Here's our past clients. Here's, you know, 100 five-star reviews. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing what you can get just by talking to people mm-hmm. and just saying like, oh, can we hop on a call? We can tell you what we do. Don't worry if it doesn't suit you, that's fine. You know, but researching the higher value sort of clients, where they get married, it's just thinking outside the box. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. like if you can think creatively and sort of do what the opposite of what everyone else yeah. is doing, yeah. that's how I kind of... So March to October, you were yeah. basically prepping for this fair. Yeah. Were you still working in disney at the time yeah so i was so i was doing that three days a week um and yeah sort of four days a week i was flat on my back (laughs) um not very well but working it's amazing what you can do lying down not standing Uh, up's not an excuse so so from march to october you're making these veils right you do the fair and you said for about six months you didn't hear anything from people from from the fair yeah so were you getting any other sales from other avenues in those six months or yeah so again word of mouth my friends were amazing they would be like oh my mate's getting married i'll put you in touch because i think Honestly, I think by then everyone was a bit like, wow, so I've had a bit of a tough time. And they were just so happy to any, any any way that they could help. And that was a really simple way because they knew that, you know, I was working at Disney. I was making really good quality things. They knew that whoever would have a very good service with me. Um, and that's that's how I got my first sort of clients. And again, just talking to people, I advertised on Facebook Um I, I remember, God, I remember the day that I put that up, I was like bracing myself. I was ready. And ready for the inflow of, yeah. all, inflow of the, all the clients in the world. Yeah, I, I know. know. What am I going to do with yeah. this money? Exactly. <laughs> like, how am I going to cope? Um, I got all of my packaging ready. <laughs> yeah. um, and obviously you upload it and nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And and then like three days later, like someone went on the website. <laughs> when did you leave your job? Um, so... It's about two years in, um, and I just I finished a Disney contract, um, and I still I still had work there, but I so I was working on the Mulan film live action, and it sounds really great, but I basically just cut circles of leather for like three months, and I was like, I've got something that I love that I haven't got time to do, and I just thought, you know what, life's short. I'm just gonna I'm gonna go all in. Because did you have savings not? at this point? Or? Yeah, I did. So that's the thing, because I'd worked from 16. Yeah. Um, and it was it was a bit unfortunate because I had worked and saved really hard because I wanted to do like a year abroad. Um, and that's when I got ill. So I had this kind of pot of savings. I thought I was like, you know, we'll cover my rent. Um, and by this time, Unveiled was making like enough to live on. I, I lived very cheaply, <laughs> as cheaply as you can in London. But you know, lived off chickpeas. Um, so I had quite a cheap lifestyle. Um, of course, it's scary, but I think I think that this is, for most people, that transition is really hard, but I was already self-employed. Mm. So it wasn't that big a change. It was just changing my income stream and where my focus was rather than I wasn't leaving a contracted job. Um, and I think that that is really difficult because suddenly you don't have holiday pay. And that's the thing, I would never go back because I love being my own boss and being able to have the flexibility. I don't know if you can though. I feel like anybody, as soon as they get that, they get exposure to that life and they know what it feels like. I don't know anybody that could could then go back working for somebody else once they do it. And that's why you're so trapped, aren't you? In (laughs) in sort of work where you're contracted and you're, you know, things like having to ask somebody for time off 
It's mm. like, I love the fact that I can say, do you know what, I'm, I'm not feeling great today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna do a half day or, mm. and that doesn't mean that I work less hard. Actually, probably work harder because it's my own business and I love it. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, I, I'm not beholden to anyone else if I need a bit of flexibility. Mm. Um, What's your advice to anyone listening who maybe is at that point where they've been running a business on the side mm. of a job and they're just really scared about taking that leap and aren't quite confident enough to do it? What advice could you give them? I think, you know, it's, it's sort of going back to earlier of like, what's the worst case scenario? Um, and we've actually got this. My So my husband has just quit his job to join the business. Um, wow. Yeah, and it's, I know for him, like he's been, he's been employed for what, 10 years, um, started off in banking, worked in tech. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a big change <laughs> going suddenly like, okay, we're not gonna have a steady yeah. income. And obviously like now we've got steady income from Unveiled, but it's not guaranteed income. Um, I think that, I think though sometimes it feels like an all or nothing. I think if you have a good proof of concept and it has a good profit margin, then part of me is like, well, give it a go because you're probably not going to regret it. That's not to say you've got women of an idea that you haven't put any work behind. I wouldn't then go and quit your job. Mm. You know, see, does it work? Is there a market out there? Because I think, you know, I've got a lovely friend who she wanted to make vegan leather wallets out of like um, pineapple skin. Okay. <laughs> um, and they're beautiful. But she's already closed the business because she went, A, actually, I'm a creative person. I just want to make the, I don't want to do all the business stuff. I just want to make the, the wallets. And she said, actually, it's really hard to sell because you know there just isn't the market there so i think if you've got to a point where you know that there's a market you know it can be profitable even if it's not quite profitable yet then i would say life's too short you know i think i've in some respects i've been really lucky to have quite drastic <laughs> sort of perspective on life of you don't know how much time you've got mm. and that made me very much like What's the worst? Yeah, <laughs> you know? no, it's a good attitude to have. I, it really is. I mean, like how, just on that, and this might sound mm. like a stupid question, no. but like how does someone know that there is a market for their product? You know, like what's the what's the yeah. sort of turning point? Is it, a, is it a physical number? Is it traction? I mean, like how? So I think it's it really, I think it's really dependent on what that product is. Um, as I say, like I can't really say about tech. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I think there's probably different markers depending on what you're in. Um, and it's where it's difficult because if I'd have researched, I maybe wouldn't have done what I've done now. And I would have gone, oh, maybe there isn't the market. I think that either it's gonna be a really new product that you think this solves a problem that nobody else has thought of, or it's something that already exists, but done in a different way. And I think it's seeing, will people pay for it? And will people pay a reasonable amount of money for it as in and I don't mean reasonable as expensive I mean does it cover your costs is there any margin in it and that might be 10 sales it doesn't necessarily have to be a hundred a thousand but I think it's not one sale I think it's actually then talking to the people that you've sold them to and saying what did you think is it a good product would you buy it again especially if it's a repeat business mm. do they come back why don't they come back mm. asking all of those questions getting that data you know I think for what I was doing, by the time I'd kind of got to that point where I was like, I just want to do this full time, I'd had enough sales, I'd had enough positive feedback that I was like, 
I'm good at this. I think that's a really key thing to actually go like, are you good at it? Because as humans, we don't like to be like, I'm good at this. <laughs> but I think it's really key to feel that actually you're doing a really good job mm. because if you don't back yourself no one else will back you exactly and you don't want to be like oh you know i've got this product but i'm really great at marketing it but actually the product isn't that great you need to as i said earlier to have longevity believe in that product and have the quality in it that people will pay i agree no, I, I thought I was just really. I was just absorbing what you're saying. I was like taking it in. That um, was all awesome. Um, so this has been such an awesome chat. Um, I want to round off with the same question that we ask at the end of every yep. episode, which is for anyone watching who might be thinking of starting their own business, if you could give them one piece of practical, actionable advice, yep. so not you know believe in yourself, uh, what would that be? Do you know what I think that it's really important to have a work-life balance, and I realise that that is totally against what most people who are entrepreneurs will say and I feel like there's this whole almost like a dirty word around lifestyle businesses and because everyone's like no you need to yourself to make like to be an entrepreneur you need to work every single hour every single day and don't get me wrong you need to work really hard but I didn't have that luxury of being able to work 24 7 because I needed a certain amount of sleep to be semi-okay and I think that this this sort of I think is really toxic actually to have this sort of level of work that you have nothing outside of it because you know I had it last year I was really really busy in my in my business and I kind of I was drowning and I was like do you know what this is not making me happy and I sat back and I was like oh my god I've got a business that I I thought I loved I loved it in principle but actually spending 50 60 hours a week making bells is not making me happy and then I stood back and went because I'm burnt out because actually I don't have any time for anything outside of that I don't have time to actually be creative and that's what I love and there's a really good um sort of matrix of I'll try and explain this in a way without mm. like visual but you know you you have the four sort of categories and you've got low paid um and low value jobs, high pay, oh, and sorry, jobs that you don't enjoy. Jobs that you don't enjoy that pay well. You've got jobs that don't pay anything, but you love and then well paid and uh, you love doing it. And basically you obviously want to kind of be in this top right hand quadrant. And if you're constantly working in all four, you're never going to be happy. But if you lose this creative sort of restorative bit, you also won't be happy. Mm -hmm. I just found that I was in this quadrant drowning <laughs> and I was like I'm unhappy mm. and I thought I wouldn't be because I was like my business is turning over more than I can imagine like I never thought I'd get to this point and I was deeply unhappy and it's been really good this year taking a step back and going I need to hire someone you know I have my first hire and she's she's come in and she's great and she she's taking the workload off the bits that are sort of not worth my time to do and that's freed me up to do creative stuff. My husband's coming on board to also free me up to do more of the creative. And I just think that sometimes we equate working longer and longer hours with more output. And actually I think it's about working more strategically because ultimately at the end of the day, and again, I realize I have a very different perspective, but on your deathbed, you're not gonna say, I wish I'd worked harder. You can say, I wish I'd spent the time with my family and my friends and 
went on the holiday and those are the those are the memories and you know I think probably because I've sort of had that experience of you know I didn't think I'd see 30 I was 30 this year so that was a good milestone (laughs) thanks um it really gave me a different a different kind of perspective on what life is about and it's, it's going pretty deep but you know I think that we shouldn't over glamorize working to burnout or working past burnout you know I think and not as a criticism but quite a few of your guests have said oh you need to you know just put your life aside for five years and just work to burnout and it's like but when when you have those moments in life where life stops and I don't know if either of you ever had those where you know there were two in my life it was when my dad had his stroke and you literally didn't know what time of the day it was and you didn't care because all that mattered was in that room with your family and the other was when I thought I had a brain tumor and life just stops literally nothing else matters and don't get me wrong I love what I do it brings me energy I thoroughly enjoy it I get to make women feel beautiful and empowered and strong and that is at the heart of why I do what I do but I also want to make sure that I live my life and I think sometimes we get sucked into this we need to make more money because we have a more expensive lifestyle to make more money and I think a lifestyle business is great you know I get to go on holiday with my husband Mm. and we live in our lovely little cottage in the countryside and I just think that if you don't get me wrong if you want to run a tech business and exit in two years and sell it for a billion pounds you need to work 120 hours a week fine and then what do you do with your life but if you actually want something that you kind of don't want to retire from because you love it, you need to make it sustainable. And you just can't do that if you're working every single day and you're missing out on life because life is what is around work as well as what's in it. So that would be my tip. I think that's a really <laughs> nice way to round it off. I yeah, think it's <laughs> really nice. Beautiful piece of advice and much needed to hear. And I, I think... I think you're right. I think a lot of people would be much happier if they if they were running a lifestyle business. Not everyone, I don't think, needs to be in that, you know, constant 24-7, go, go, go mode, you know, because there is so much value in family. I just think as well, like, the most valuable thing you have is your health. Mm. And actually... And it takes and losing I, it to appreciate it, exactly. I guess. Exactly. Right? And, so and I think that most people at 30 won't understand that. And I'm sure at whatever age, like, at some point, everyone loses their health, unfortunately, or they have periods where they lose their health. And you get that perspective. And I just wish that I could, I wish that everybody could have that perspective without having to go through the difficulty mm. because it, it changes you. It fundamentally changes you. And you, I, I guess it's so easy to to think, oh, I'm just going to work to burn out because I'll recover and I'll be fine. But, you know, I, I didn't, I got a ear infection which spread from my brain. It was just a total fluke thing. I wasn't even, wasn't even working crazy hours or anything. Um, and I wasn't at that point thinking like, oh, I wish I could get better to work. I was thinking, I wish I could get better to live my life, to mm. see my parents, to one day get married, yeah, to have course. a family, you know, and money is not the be all and end all. And I understand mm. like some people have a very different perspective and that's, that's absolutely fair enough. Um, but that would be what, it's not, it's not about not working hard, you know, I'll work really hard and I love it. Uh, because I don't think you can work hard at something you don't love and like we were saying earlier I think self-employed people often work harder yeah because you're so invested but don't let life pass you by yeah exactly 
Yeah. Well, Sophie, <laughs> that was uh, that was amazing. Thank you so much. Um, right in the camera. Oh. Where, can, where can people find you? Um, at unveiledbysophie.co.uk and then on social media at unveiledbysophie. Awesome. Um, guys, what an amazing conversation. Something completely different that we've never had before. So really amazing. Um, make sure to subscribe, turn on post notifications and we've got even more amazing guests coming on the way. But for now, Sophie, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Thanks thank for you. having me. No, our pleasure.